Baxi's Musical Podcast. Since 1978, Dire Straits released only six studio albums, plus three live albums and three compilations. The band have sold more than 100 million albums around the world. That puts Dire Straits slightly ahead of people like David Bowie or Bob Dylan or bands like Genesis or the Beach Boys and a lot of others. It's almost impossible to imagine, but when it comes to certified sales, it's absolutely true. And if you're old enough to remember the 1980s, then you're probably old enough to remember the 1985 behemoth Brothers in Arms, which was not only their biggest selling album, it catapulted the band into one of the biggest drawing live bands in the world. In fact, Dire Straits was supposed to become the headlining band at Live Aid later that year, but scheduling issues made that impossible. Nevertheless, between sales, their quick association with MTV, their relentless touring schedule for every album, the greatness of Dire Straits would be undeniable with four Grammy Awards and lots of accolades along the way. And so it made complete sense that in 2018, they would be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. While guitar singer-songwriter Mark Knopfler would be the focus of the band's outrageous success, bass player John Ilsley would be the only other original member of the band to play on every tour and on every album. From their debut single, Sultan's A Swing, to their final shows together in 1995, John Ilsley has been the backbone of one of the most important bands in history. John has just published his memoirs entitled My Life in Dire Straits. It's a beautifully written book that takes you from his childhood, his discovery of music, to his relationship with Mark and his brother David. It's a detailed account of their astonishing rise to fame and their decision to finally break up the band for good in the mid-1990s. This is my conversation with John Ilsley from Dire Straits on Baxi's Musical Podcast. How you doing, John? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good. Very nice to see you. Whereabouts are you? Uh, Massachusetts, Springfield, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Okay, so you've got snow there as well. Uh, we had we had a little bit of a dusting, and thankfully nothing too uh, too great because I'm not I am not ready for snow yet. That's for sure. I don't think any of us are, but uh, we had a bit this morning down even in England. It's been very very cold here. It's just like. Um, just as everybody's talking about global warming, we get a really serious cold snap. <laughs> it's always the case. It's always the case. So I, uh, I, I finished the book this weekend, and, um, and I absolutely loved it. And I, I, the great thing about these interviews that I've been doing is it, it kind of forces me to, to, to really do this huge, deep dive. It's like I'm studying for finals in college all, <laughs> all over again. <laughs> uh, you're reading the book and, and, and watching other you know, videos of, of interviews that you've done. But one of the things that, that I did do is I really dove back into all of the Dire Straits records. And, you know, I mean, these are records that I've been listening to since 1978, 79, through all, through all of high school. And, and the thing that I always appreciated and, and the book kind of, I, I think in a, in a way kind of confirms my feeling about this is unlike a lot of the bands at the time, which were not necessarily involved in a lot of subtlety, you guys were taking a very subtle approach to the music and there was restraint and, and dynamics in a way that most bands coming out of England in 1978 wanted nothing to do with. But I think that's what separated you guys from, from, from everybody else. 
Well, I think you've sort of put your finger on it, really. I, I, the band never really tried to associate itself with any kind of uh, trend or any fashion of music or style or whatever. I mean, very much, it just had its own style right from the beginning. And I think that um, that's what made it kind of stand out, I suppose, uh, when everybody else was following a particular trend. For instance, with the, with the whole punk and the new wave thing that was going on, you know, people, everybody, of course, thought with a name like Dire Straits, we were some kind of glorified punk band. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> so they were a bit disappointed, maybe. But I think that, that you know, sometimes um, you just have to stick to your stick to the way you play music. And I, I pretty much, we've pretty much done that right from the word go. And I, you make a, a very valid point. Um, I think style is everything, really. Your own your own way of doing things is everything. But I also think there's a there was a level of musicianship, even you know, out of the gate with the first record, that that most mm. bands could not compete with. Not that every band in, in the punk and 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 new wave genre, if you want to call it that, couldn't play their instruments. But the music mm. they were playing was almost showing that they were trying not to sound like they were great uh, great musicians. <laughs> and and you guys had no fear about that. It was it was very clear from the very from the very moment you hear you know, Mark Knopfler playing guitar, you realize, okay, this guy, at the very least, rest, never mind the rest of the band, this guy at the very least was something very different and very special. Well, uh, you've just said what I was just about to say, that, that when I first heard him play, I thought, okay, I've played with a few guitarists in my time, but um, this is different. Yeah. Um, in, a, in a fairly major way. And it, and it, and it's just, it reminded me of all those, different kinds of records that I used to listen to. And somehow they put a lot of the feel of, of those records into his own particular style. So that set, that set the sort of uh, benchmark, if you like, for the rest of us. And um, because none of us were professional musicians at all. And the only one, a professional musician, if you can call it that, was Pick Withers, right. the drummer, um, who came with a lot of um, credibility. And... I learned a lot from Pick very quickly. Uh, I mean, I'd played with a lot in a lot of bands up until this particular point, but nothing that was um, didn't. I mean, this felt like it was going to go somewhere pretty much straight away, um, despite the fact that we were playing in pl uh, clubs and pubs around London, and you know, getting very little money and living on sort of you know. French fries and burgers and stuff and a, and a couple, couple of pints a day. But I don't know, I, I never really thought about the level of musicianship. It's just, the, it's just, that's just the way that we played when we played together. It just, it just fell into that particular shape, if yeah. I can put it that way. Guided very much by the guitar uh, approach to the guitar, especially on this first record. You know, in the, uh, in the forward that he wrote uh, for the book, Mark uh, Knopfler talks about how thank goodness you guys didn't approach this when you were teenagers, that you were, you had a little maturity under, under your belt. Yeah. You, you were, you know, I think late twenties, uh, by the yeah. time the band started. And, and, and I, and that resonates, you know, pretty, pretty strongly when you, when I hear the music and especially, you know, when you also talk about, you know, the idea of like negotiating contracts, you know, especially <laughs> on, you know, you hear all the time, all these bands, you know, they're, you know, 19, 20 years old. They don't know anything other than the fact that, you know, here's Richard Branson across from them in, in a table and he's waving, you know, this indentured servitude in front of them. 
but, but you guys were not necessarily enticed by that and, and really probably got, in hindsight, really a, a pretty remarkable contract uh, right away. You, you just don't hear those kinds of stories where, you know, there's not bitter and hostility over the contract you wind up signing. Well, yes, I mean, you, you, you've, you've, you've said a lot of things there. I don't know how to sort of paraphrase that into an answer. <laughs> but, I mean, um, I, I think that being a bit older um, certainly helped. I'm, I'm not sure it was the final answer, but it certainly helped to sort of think about things a bit more deeply before we said yes. And we had a lot of decision making to, to, uh, to, to, to do uh, in a very short period of time. Because things, you know, things happened quite quickly. I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote this book was because um, even for myself, I needed to sort of go back and just see how, how one's life moved from one situation to the next. And, you know, not just musically, but uh, philosophically and uh, mentally and, and how you dealt with situations and why you took a particular course in life. Because I think it's very, very important for anybody uh, listening to this or listening to uh, any other body's story, your story is is yours and it's nobody else's. And so I wanted to try and get this story down the way that I remembered it. And I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm damn sure that I'm gonna get people saying, actually, it wasn't <laughs> like that at all. You know, it was like this. And I'm gonna I say, well, it's my, that's what I remember. And if it's different, well, we might do it in the reprint or we might not, we might just leave it. <laughs> But um, I think it's very important to understand why you end up in particular places in life. I mean, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, there's a series of events that have happened that you probably made happen and other people made happen. And why, why you end up in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation which you go, well, how did I get here? I mean, what's going on? Why am I playing in front of 60,000 people in a, in a big stadium when five ten years ago i was sitting in a pub in deptford wondering how i was actually going to pay the rent <laughs> you know so and, and and that's you know that's that's why i think it's it was worth putting it down because it's actually quite an interesting uh the band had quite an interesting history i think um apart from his musical history i think from a from a personal point of view and and with mark too and 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 with david although david wasn't there for very long but you know, you need to what you need to know how these things fit together in your life in order to make sense of it, in order to find out why you are where you are now. And so somebody gave me the opportunity to write this book, and I, I was, I was, mm, shall I, shan't I? So I, I, I rang Mark up and I said, look, mate, I, I said some crazy person's offered me a publishing deal to write something about the band, and he said, oh blimey, why do you want to bother doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well. If I don't do it, mate, then nobody else is, you ain't going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. And I think it's a story worth telling because it's kind of a celebration of what we did. And, and uh, you know, that's if that's answered your question. Um, uh, I mean, we did get a good record deal from Phonogram, I must say, yeah. uh, because they they wanted to see the band develop. So that was a big help. It wasn't just a one album deal, you know. One of the interesting parts for me, and I, and I think it's it, part of that is because, I mean, I've been in radio for so long, is this the story of the uh, of the original demo that you guys had done? And I listened to it on YouTube, and it, and it's and it's I can I can see why someone might be very excited about something like this. But 
the the story of you 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 get some inheritance money from a family member who died. You you record this demo, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, now what do we do? And you <laughs> you, you get it into the hands of this this guy on radio. I believe it's it Charlie Gillette. I think I have the the name. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden he he hears it and loves it, and yeah. his effort is what all of a sudden created this huge interest in in the band. Yeah. And what's fascinating is from that moment on, it's like you go from like zero to a hundred in like what seems like a matter of, of seconds. I mean, I know it was longer than that, but the trajectory after that was, was pretty bracing. Well, it was a roller coaster. That's all I can say. And, you know, and, and, and in some ways, you know, when things are happening so quickly and the landscape is changing all the time, uh, you have to make a lot of decisions. You have to, you have to actually, do a lot of things you never thought you'd have to do and then you needed people to enable to make this thing work as well so you had to get a good team around you and you know we didn't really know anything about the music business as such you know as because as you know the music business is very much different from the music and the music was always the key for us but we did it we had a bit a, a lot of stuff happened quite quickly and in order to try and keep up with it uh, we had to learn a lot, you know. It was it was it was quite a, was it was quite a journey, you know. And uh, and and I think David, one of, the, one of the reasons I talk about David leaving in in the way I did, because he was finding that that quick um, quickness too too much for him. He just it it didn't feel right to him, you know. He saw he said to me one time. He said it wasn't supposed to be like this, and I said. <laughs> Well, it is. I mean, what was it? What was it supposed to be like? And he said, "Well, not like this." And I thought, "Well, I don't know where we're going with this conversation because it is what it is." And when things are what they are, you just you either you either go the go with the flow or you get off the train, you know. And the train was running pretty fast. It's very clear the way you describe the uh, the situation with David, uh, and, yeah. and even with other members of the band that that you're you're either designed for this kind of lifestyle yeah, or you're, yeah, or you're yeah. not. And, and it, it, yeah. there's, there's no right or wrong. Like you say in the book, everyone has their own way of handling that kind of, that kind of pressure and that kind of you know, relentlessness. And obviously yeah. it, David is very different than, than Mark. Well, they're, they're very different characters. You're quite right. And um, you know, I, 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 I absolutely, you know, Mark and I absolutely enjoyed the success part of it. We, we enjoyed that. Uh, we really enjoyed that sort of that that moment of um, uh, you know when we were able to create something like that, uh, which is you know which go I'm going to go back to um, you know Mark's Mark's uh, character in this way, the way that he wrote these songs and the power of these songs that formed the character of the band and. And I think that David, who also was writing, was feeling a little bit, maybe a little bit, maybe a bit, his nose was put out of joint a bit because he was writing a bit as well. But to my mind, if you've got a really great writer in the band, then stay with that. You know, I was writing songs too, but I wasn't writing songs of the quality that Mark was writing. So it wasn't a question of like, oh, what about me sort of thing? It's like, look, just, you know, if this, if this guy, if this guy is able to write songs like, you know, Salt to Swing and Romeo and Juliet and, you know, great, fantastic. Here we go, you know, and, and then another one comes on the, on you know, Money for Nothing comes on the track. And so 
success is a wonderful thing uh if you if you enjoy that process you know and not from a power point of view don't get me wrong but just from a, an inner feeling of satisfaction but you but like you mentioned dave is trying to do you know one thing he's writing his music he's trying to pl to, to play at, at at this level but this is not the first situation where brothers have been in a band and for yeah. whatever yeah. reason you know, one maybe outshining the other. I mean, I think of, you know, you know, Ray and Dave Davies or, you know, John and Tom Fogarty. I mean, these are family relationships that become very strained based upon what they do, who's getting the attention. And I think in, in, a, in a way it's it's a very natural human behavior to have to be rubbed the wrong way with that. Yes. And, and, you know, on the other hand, I was very happy that Mark was getting all the attention. <laughs> I wasn't getting bothered so much. Uh, so it it didn't it didn't worry me at all, um, and uh, yes, I mean, as I say, it's like some sort of Shakespearean tragedy, really. In, in some ways, I mean, uh, I don't didn't know what else how else to put it apart from the fact that uh, you know that that blood that joins you together is different from what's going on in your head you know you either you either run with it you either run with it or you or you don't run with it and and uh, and the thing is that you know for me it was really difficult mike because um i was friends with both of them i mean it was really uh, a tricky one you know dead tricky but i could see it wasn't good for the band and at that particular time the band was kind of dare I say, everything. So that, of course, puts your other family in a separate sort of place as well, which I talk about in the book, which is very difficult to deal with. You've got these two families going on. You've got your band family and you've got your, your loving family with your kids and your girlfriend or wives or whatever. And that's really, that's another difficult thing to deal with. And I tried to handle that in the book as best I could, but because it was very difficult for most of us, actually. Like you say, I mean, you know, both of the brothers you're very, very close to, and you've, you know, these are lifelong yeah. friendships. You, you, you see, you know, fractured relationships in bands all the time, but when it comes to family, that's, you know, those are deeper roots than. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I can, I can, I can see the, 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 the nuance that you have to, you know, straddle in order to, you know, exactly. to be friends with both, but then also you're part of a larger entity in dire straits. It's, it, you can't just walk away. And in, and in your case, I mean, the, your, the, the greatest success was on its, you know, around the corner. It was still yet to come. Well, yes. And of course, uh, nobody knew. You don't know anything about this kind of stuff until it's happened. Then you can look back and go, oh, well, of course it was, <laughs> you know, it was like that and like that. Um, I mean, what I loved about it, to be honest, Mike, was the fact that, you know, we, every time we had a new record, it was a really, it was a new project. It wasn't going to go, oh, we're going to make what we did before. You know, we really, we really experimented with, with stuff, you know, to try and keep, A, keep it interesting for us, but also keep it interesting for the people who were, you know, who were fans of the band and go, oh my God, what Telegraph Road, Jesus Christ, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember working on that, you know, during the sound checks for on the making movies tour and thinking that this, you know, this this song is a this this song is something else. I mean, you know, putting that together yeah. and watching Mark and, and Alan Clark sort of interplaying with different ideas. Alan being a wonderful piano player and and Mark saying, you know, what about this? And Alan saying, well, I could do this there. And 
oh by the way john can you just play a note there i said yes yeah, sure whatever and then you know and the drums yeah okay and it was a wonderful sort of uh wonderful creative times we had together which i you know i just i kind of miss that really with because i do my stuff on my own now and i work with my own guys but in that situation it was really unique and very special because everybody was sympathetic to the idea of the band and what it meant not just for us but to other people well i i know you know for myself you know dire straits had always been a part of the music that we listened to me my friends you know it was just always present and then I went away to college, in, uh, you know, and by 1985, Brothers in Arms comes out, and it's the biggest damn record in the world. And one of the things that was interest, inter, interesting to, uh, to go back and, and, and look at was, you know, for Americans, you know, we, you know, we have this tendency to only kind of think of our borders as what the world is. But, you know, no you mentioned how many albums are being sold all over the world and the cumulative number of what dire straits sold is particularly on brothers in arms is a staggering number of of yeah, records okay. I and mean, if you look at the list of all the great you know selling artists of all time you guys are higher than bob dylan or david bowie and i mean the list is remarkable i i know for for me the first time i heard money for nothing it was like oh my god this band came up with that. It was it was phenomenal. Well, can you imagine what I felt like when I heard it? <laughs> I know. I, I I I can only imagine when you got a guy who's writing this this music and he progressively gets. I mean, he's always been writing great songs, but as he goes on every album, it's like a stronger batch of, of songs to hear it for the yeah, very yeah, first yeah. time. As a guy who's got to put a bass part to all all this stuff, I mean, what is your reaction to to Mark Knopfler's? body of music as as you're in that moment well i mean i i i have to say i felt very privileged to be part of the part of the process in putting the you know putting my my bit into the into the mix i mean to put it bluntly i mean uh we had a we had a, we were fortunate that we had an awful lot of material that was universally as you your point you make is universally kind of accepted and you're quite right we do get a bit parochial with the way that we listen to music um, I mean, if you go to Germany, for instance, you hear German music. You very don't hear too much English music, but we were huge in Germany right. for some reason. So it, it, music sort of knocks the boundaries out, you know, knocks them out. You, 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 and, and if you happen to be in a situation like we were, where the music was feeding into this a global sort of marketplace, if you like, to want of a better expression, and people were enjoying it in in New Zealand and Australia and South America and Israel I mean huge in Israel who would have thought I mean for God's sake what's that about uh, I don't know what it is it's a universal language music those songs they spoke they spoke very loudly to a lot of different people people who couldn't understand English yeah I mean the other day I had this 18 year old kid from from uh, some city in China, which I can't possibly um, remember the name <laughs> of or even pronounce, and he said, "I've just discovered Dire Straits." He said, "And I'm going to I'm going to learn how to play the guitar." And I thought, "This is a bloke in China." I mean, I mean who would have known that would happen? Uh, it's one. It's wonderful. I mean, it's a very very powerful medium. Music. It's a joiner. You know, it unites people. I don't know anything else that does that apart from a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well. 
thankfully one's a whole lot more uh, pleasurable than the other. That's that's this for sure. You talk a lot in the book about the the pressure of of touring, what that means, you know, physically and and yeah. personally, and you know, and how it affects you know not only you and the people in the band, but also the people at home uh, yeah. who are waiting for you to, to to come back home. And one of the things that that's that I I you know I've heard before is that when people are on the road for a period of time, and actually there's a great parallel that you wrote early in the book about your father coming home from war about, you know, you're, you're away from home for such a long period of time that it's sometimes hard to understand what it's like to be home after you've been away for, for so long. It's actually a really interesting parallel that you, that you drew between you and your father's experience. Yeah. Good. A very good point, actually. Uh, And the period of adjustment is different for different people, but, you know, in the war, you know, and they, this is why, you know, they, they were the, my parents were the way they were because of that experience of being separated and then wanting to have a secure and safe, safe. I use that word, you know, very liberally because they wanted us all to be safe because they weren't safe for about five or six years. It was a very unsafe world then. So when he came home, they wanted to be safe. And it's, you know, and the parallels with being on the road. Look, you know, the difference is, of course, that I was having a fantastic time. And I don't think my father was having such a fantastic time being <laughs> no, it doesn't being sound like North it. African desert, you know, <laughs> getting shot at. But um, so there's a difference there. But the tra- when you get home you, and you think, oh my God, have I got, a- what is that? Oh, that's the washing up. You know, ha- can I have a clean, sh- where's my clean shirt? You know, <laughs> uh, uh, and you know, you've got to go to the shops and you've got to go and get some food and, you know, you, I don't know. It's the, the adjustments are very, very tricky, and and you know, it was it was difficult to deal with that side of things. But of course, you know, you were having the most incredible time on the road. You were in this family, you were being looked after properly. You were playing to great audiences. The the communication between you and the audience was always wonderful. God, there's nothing not to like about it. But you know, there's you, there's a price you pay for everything in life, and you have to pay a price for your pleasure, if you like. And I know that sounds kind of rather crude, but it's this. It is. It is the way it is. So, what do you think it was about you and Mark that uh, kept you in it for as long as you as you did? I mean, obviously, you know, other people around you, other members of the band, you know, had come and gone at that point, and you know, some could handle that stress and, 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 and some couldn't, but yet you guys were able to, to deal with it un, until, you know, you decided we'd had quite enough. What, what was it about the two of you that was different? It's difficult to analyze friendship, isn't it? I mean, I think we were just a good partnership. We, we had the same feelings about what we were doing. We agreed on pretty much everything that we wanted to try and do. I was, I was good at some things that he wasn't good at. Uh, certainly in the early days, um, you know, when we were starting out, I did a lot of the stuff that I, I was able to pass on to other people later on. But I think in some ways, I say this, but it's a rather strange thing to say, but I think he felt safe with me because I'm a pretty safe pair of hands. I'm, you know, I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not easily flustered, you know, by things. And, uh, you know, so I could, I, I could, I could support him and he could support me. And so there was a sort of mutual 
understanding of, of who we were as people. And we, we had a good laugh together, apart from anything else. We, and we still do. I mean, we, we don't talk about music hardly ever, but we, we talk about different kinds of wine now. <laughs> it, it's interesting how you, you both seem to arrive at that moment pretty much at the same time that it, it was time to put Dire Straits to bed. Like, yes. like you had both kind of decided, you know what, we've taken this for as far as we can possibly take it without either, you know, becoming, uh, you know, repetitive or, uh, yeah. or whatever it may be. Do you feel like at the time and, and now that it was the right decision? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think we would have probably, we would, we might've been a bit more damaged if we carried on trying to do, and, and don't forget there was quite a big gap between brothers in arms and, um, on every street. It was, Five years, maybe. Yeah, and and the hand after the Brothers in Arms tour finished, I I was sort of like, wow, I think I, I was exhausted then, and so was he. And <laughs> I know he was doing other projects, but and I went off and did a, another solo album. But you know, generally speaking, it was like, okay, now it's it's my, it's my it's my time, it's me time. And uh, I was quite, as I say in the book, I was quite sort of surprised when he said, "I've got some songs that Dire Straits should do," because he was doing. He was doing lots of work with different people, uh, you know, because he's he's called on to do a lot of things and and uh, not just movie scores, but just playing on different people's uh, albums and stuff. And um, you know, so that's how on every street came about. And of course, we did the the Mandela seventieth birthday show with Eric Clapton and you know playing with him with us. And uh, and I think that he just he sort of thought, well, I do, I've got one more Dire Straits album in me. And I knew he I knew his his feelings about the band were. Uh, even before on every street started he he wanted to just have one more thing with the band these songs suited the band but he was he was already thinking about the next phase i think sure i don't the thing about mark is he doesn't want to get categorized and i think the reason the reason why you know we, we don't play because as soon as he and i start playing together there's this oh my god die straight to kind of come out you know <laughs> And so that all the stories start rattling around, um, and uh, you know we, we, we're we're just we're just great buddies now, and yeah. and, that, and it's it's great, you know. And he, and and you know, I did say to him, I, I want you to read this book uh, before I even consider putting it out because it's about you and me. And um, I said, if you if you think it's you think it's not worthy, then you just tell me and I'll dump it. And he came back and he said, I think it's great. Yeah. I said, if you think it's great, then can you write the forward? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's been he's been pretty clear over over the years that he doesn't that he's not interested in in a uh, in a reunion or or bringing the, no, the band right. back. But but if Mark were to call you up and say, uh, oh, hold on to something firm before you fall out of your chair, but I've got some songs I want to play with you, would as Dire Straits, would you agree to it, or would you be hesitant about it? No, no, I'd agree to it. I'd agree to it. Of course, I would. Yeah, it'd be an absolute pleasure. Do you call him up? Do you call him up every couple of weeks and say, "Hey, what do you what do you come up with?" <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't got to that stage yet. You haven't. You haven't. You haven't. No, said... I mean, I, I, I see him probably. You know, if not every fortnight, I, mean, I saw him last week, and uh, I'll probably see him next week doing something or other. I mean, you know, we see each other every now and again. He lives quite close to me, so you know, uh, so that's not difficult. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm open to I'm open to all sorts of suggestions. It's 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 highly unlikely, and I'm not anticipating it in the slightest. I'd be very surprised. Um, but you know, I mean, he you know he's played on a few things of mine over the years, and uh, you know, I I think I just it's just a nice relationship, and he you know he's he's endlessly creative, and he doesn't want to get stuck somewhere. He doesn't want to you know he's he's. He's had that dire straits thing on his head and he, you know, he wants to be Mark Knopfler now. Yeah. You know, I can understand that. And I've heard that from, from other people that, you know, are, are forever pigeonholed by, by the label. You know, I'm, I'm always going to be yeah. seen as a member of this and I can't really shake being away from this. I mean, there are very few people that, that have been able to do it. Mark is one of those that, that has, but, but it's, but it's, it's a, it's, it's a rarefied company that can no, claim it that. Is. I mean, if you think, uh, I mean, you could probably count on one hand the amount of uh, individuals who've come out of a successful band and been, you know, pretty damn successful. I mean, Sting was one from the police. Uh, uh, okay, Mark was one. Um, okay, let's have keep thinking. <laughs> we'll be here all day <laughs> trying to remember another name. <laughs> those, uh, you know, uh, you know, David Gilmore and, and uh, Roger Roger Waters has been. And now I'm thinking. Now I'm thinking. I don't know. Yeah, I I, it's very, it's a very small group. It's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, if I go out playing, I mean, I make it quite clear who I am and who, you know, my heritage. I'm not ashamed of that at all. You know, to get if it gets people to come and see me and, hit, and listen to my stuff, then I'm, I'm very happy for that to happen. I'm not at all shy about using it. I, I can't blame you. For, I can't blame you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> the uh, the name of the book is My Life in Dire Straits. It is a it is a really wonderful uh, memoir of your of your career and your friendships and your family and uh, and everything else. And I really I really did enjoy it quite a lot. So thank you very much. I appreciate thank the you time. Very much, nice to meet you. Okay, no problem. Okay. Once again, the name of the book is My Life in Dire Straits by John Ilsley. If you like the podcast, feel free to like it, share it, review it, tell all your friends about it. You can email me at backs at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think and certainly appreciate the feedback. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's musical podcast.